Good morning, everyone. And thank you for all for your applications for me today so I can join the uh, seniors ministry here. <laughs> Everybody couldn't wait to hand me that application this morning. <laughs> Let's see. And thank you for that birthday uh, song. I've, uh, I think that's a first that I've had a standing song uh, for my birthday. And, and just to, I've probably said it before, but it's not only my birthday, it's my son's birthday and my grandson's birthday. Uh, and then it was my daughter-in-law's birthday a couple days beforehand. So we had four birthdays on Friday night, which we still haven't recovered from yet. Uh, <laughs> Turn with me to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 8, looking at verses 12 through 30. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I, come, I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words were spoken in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away, and, I will, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I, uh, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have, I have much to say about you, about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me, he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. 
As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Let's pray. We ask, Lord, these words from your gospel this morning to be brought forth to us in a way that, again, is familiar but refreshing and new and edifying, not only to us but to each other for the church and glorifying to you. Lord, we, we ask that you give us the ability, both me to teach and us to all listen, so that the Holy Spirit would apply this to our lives and help us to be thankful for the gospel. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one piece of uh, business before is, as you can see, I skipped a piece of, of, uh, of a passage here from John's gospel, uh, deliberated uh, all throughout the week and uh, more than that uh, before I sent a notice out to Sally and to John and everybody about that I was not going to be preaching on uh, chapter 8, 7, verse 33 to verse 11 because if, if you're in your Bibles, you see that it says here that the earliest manuscripts do not include John 53, 8 through 11. And when I'm, not, I'm not saying that this isn't something that happened or are the people who, uh, who say this. We uh, and many other believe that this is uh, an occasion and really uh, maybe a very a instance that Jesus uh, did, uh, take, did take place in Jesus' ministry. But if you, if you look at the footnotes at the bottom, as mine has footnotes, it says some manuscripts do not include this. Now, manuscripts meaning papyri and, and uh, copies of the scriptures passed on for centuries. Others add this here or after John chapter 3, John chapter 7, verse 36, or even after John chapter 21, verse 25, and even, even people put it in Luke. So you can see that they wanted to fit it somewhere, and we don't believe people who, who uh, and I think even people who preach on this, most don't believe that it belongs in the Gospel of John. It was added later. John may not have even known that this existed, uh, but somebody put it here because we can understand because um, it certainly looks like uh, here we are looking at the self-righteousness of the Pharisees and we are looking at them being the righteous ones and trying to pervert gospel and trying to uh, set Jesus up and we can see that it would fit in but it really doesn't because it says they verse 53 they went to each their own house here they are in, in the temple here, remember, the setting is all important about this. During the temple, on the day of tabernacles, on the Feast of Tabernacles, which was probably, as we've said, based upon what everybody's written, the, 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 the rabbis wrote that if you have not worshipped God, if you have not been a part of the rejoicing on the day of Feast of Booths, then you have not rejoiced. That's, that's how enjoyable how they look forward to this feast coming even above them all it was it was the highlight of their year for them to come for this feast because it was festive it was glorious it was it was in a essential in a very good way it had there were lots for the senses there was lots of songs and words uh, praised and, and read from the scriptures. There were lots of, lots of smells and, and sounds and activities going on, which you and I know that, you know, as in, in the rites and the, um, the festivals, as we think of the Passover meal, all the different symbols 
and the smells and the signs pointing to the food even pointing to the story of the Passover. And so this is the same thing that's going on here. Remember I'm talking about the fact, and, and it's so important as you're looking at John chapter 7, 8, and even 9, is that the Feast of Booths is very important because this is the setting where Jesus spoke of what he spoke of we talked about last week. He says, as in um, uh, verse 37 of chapter 7, on the last day of the feast, the great day, this is the day that we talked about that the high priest, the priest would go around, go from the, from the uh, sacrifice, the table of sacrifice, and throngs of people, uh, just thousands and thousands of people who are looking back to the story of the Exodus and remembering God has been with them and told them to build booths or build tents or pitch a tent, so to speak, to be able to, this is their temporary dwelling place while they were in the Exodus, while they were in the wilderness. And remember that what God had provided for you along the way. And so this is a bit of thanksgiving because they were looking at this time when they needed water and they were thirsty. And remember that Jesus was the water that was given to them as Christ, as Paul writes in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that Christ is the spiritual drink that came from the rock upon which Moses struck and the water came from and nourished the people. And he's saying that rock who is Christ, that who came from the rock was Christ, who is the one who is going to bring us satisfaction for this longing in our heart, which here is characterized by thirsting. And so we see that they're thankful and they're just so ecstatic that people came and pitched tents all through Jerusalem on rooftops, every place they could find, it looked like a campground everywhere. And so everybody, it was an exciting time, and there was lots of symbols there. And then also, remember we talked about this being the end of the year, the end of the feast gathering like we do right now. It was, it was at this time of year when the, the sun was going down, and it was almost like as much as sun as it was as much darkness equalizing the autumnal equinox, so to speak, um, going, taking place. And so they were gathering the blessings that God had given to them in an agricultural way, this was a marker saying this is the feast of God bringing in everything, all of the fruits of our labor, and God providing for us. And so they were extremely happy that God had provided for them. So we see, we see all these different, I guess, uh, observations of all these symbols pointing to hunger and thirst and God's provision. And now it's going to be, he's given us light. Now we're going to be going from more time of darkness and we're, uh, we're, we're just, uh, you know, God has provided for us. You know, we think that Jesus fulfilled all that and when it talks about him being, him being the water of life and him saying that you will never thirst again as he told the woman at the well. We've seen that Jesus was that pointing back to that water that came from the rock that Moses struck. We also see that Jesus is the one in the prologue. Remember when we read the prologue, it says, He was with God and God came and dwelt among us. And I said, that's a word that we use in Greek, which is very much what is in Hebrew, called tabernacle. So Jesus came to tabernacle with us, or actually Jesus came and pitched a tent. He actually came to dwell with us. We see that in the tent meeting that God came and, 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 and was dwelling in that tent where Moses could go. And so the very presence of God was in a tent and meant very much to the people that Jesus, not well, we, to us and to those who look back to this occasion, we see that Jesus 
is the fulfillment of this. He is the fulfillment of this, of this feast because he too now comes as they are longing for this Messiah to come and to dwell. Jesus is somebody they're always looking forward to. Jesus, or John says, you don't need to look anymore, guys. He's pitched a tent. He's here. And so we see this pointing to Christ always as we see this is the purpose of the scriptures. But the reason that we were going, that, that, that putting this piece of gospel or this piece of uh, passage in the middle really r kind of changes the flow of everything because they're going back to their own homes and they take us back to this, this scenario or this snippet of a, of a scene, of a picture that could have very well been played out but just does not fit the flow of the Feast of Tabernacles. just doesn't fit. And I wanted to keep within the flow of that. And also, the language isn't, isn't the same. It, isn't, it doesn't sound, as you read it, as you look at it, people who know that kind of stuff, you're not looking at some linguist, I want to tell you right now. So I'm not proficient in any of these languages. But the fact is, is that these men and women who put their time and effort in language, in Greek and Hebrew, and especially in New Testament language and textual criticism, look at this and say that this is not, this is not go along with the language of, of John, the, the apostle, more of what Luke wrote. That's why people are putting it near in Luke, because you notice here, we, in verse 3, it says, the scribes and Pharisees. We haven't heard the word scribes yet. It has, doesn't appear anywhere else in John, so why all of a sudden would he talk about scribes if he hasn't talked about them yet? So, again, just these markers, and it doesn't appear, it, it does, I, we can't say that it never appears, but it does not appear in any manuscripts prior uh, to uh, 1,000. AD. So it's, um, it's, it's comes more afterwards. And, and really all the church fathers don't seem to necessarily quote anything or go back or refer to any of these past this passage anywhere in their writing. So again, not to say it isn't the word of God, but it just doesn't fit in John's gospel. So that's why I've, I've jumped it. It's got a great story about forgiveness. It's got a great story about Jesus, um, trying to come and do justice among people who were one-sided and looking to really set Jesus up and, and you know, just a perverted, a whole perverted sense of judicial uh, uh, mercy, really. We see here that these men are setting this woman up, and there's lots of flaws in it. It does fit in this whole sense as we're going to, we see today, and we see to the, to the jury and, and uh, the verdict of Jesus that it was just a kangaroo court from that whole time as well. It just, it just was such a rushed job. They couldn't find the right people, and, the, and, and it was done, so, it was a debacle from the very beginning. And we see Jesus looking at them and saying, you know, this is a foretaste of what is going to happen to me as well. So, um, so we go on and we look at verse 12, and as important as this, as this feast was, again, Jesus says now, remember he was in the temple, and at this feast of, of booths or of tabernacles, um, the priests would uh, go from the place of uh, sacrifice and walk to the, to the pool of Siloam and dip a, a pitcher of water, of, into the water. And then, because it was a sign of, of God's blessing, it was a sign of the Holy Spirit, as he says, the Holy Spirit's going to be flowing. And it says that... Um, um, that uh, you know, they were thirsty, and there was points back to their time of being thirsty in the desert, and God provided. And the people were so excited about this, so excited that, that they were roaring when he raised up 
the priest raised up his hand and was going to pour, people would scream higher and higher and higher so they could actually see because it was the highlight of of this, of this uh, procession is that they would march on the last day, the great day, the priest would march seven times around the altar and then pour this and there would either be an uproar or maybe silence just from hearing it or, 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 or watching it. But sometime along the way in this, in this time of, of this festival, we see that Jesus did not just whisper, Jesus did not say, but Jesus cried out this, that he says, anyone who thirsts, let him drink, let him come to me and drink. Um, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow the rivers of living water. And, and this is John's commentary. He said he was talking about the Holy Spirit who comes in our hearts and in our lives. And, and the whole Testament just talks about the water of life and, and you know, the whole sense of, of the Holy Spirit now coming upon everyone and not just a, uh, at, at different times of intervals within the whole Testament uh, period of time. But after the Pentecost, we see the Holy Spirit being poured out upon everyone, uh, which was a, you know, the prophecy being fulfilled by, the God, by uh, Joel. Um, and again, we, we looked at last week, and you can't get away, and I keep on bringing this up, because you can't get away from all this tension that's going on. We see that, that Jesus has come to bring in gathering of his people of all different shapes and sizes and all, all different, the Jews and Gentiles together. But we looked at last week with Simeon. Remember, Simeon said this is going to be this child when he was dedicated, and we read it at Christmas and we look at it, saying this child was, is going to be the rise and the fall of many in, in, in Israel. And we're seeing this taking place by Jesus' very presence. By his presence, he's either drawing Tom to himself or he's repelling the others to, away from him. And just by his very virtue of who he says he is. And we see that some people are inquisitive and some people are just downright angry and reject him. And then some people are, 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 are believing in him. We see that's the reaction that the Jesus still happens to us today. The Jesus that we present and hopefully present as the gospel teaches to us, there's going to be different kinds of responses. Jesus is on trial through this. We are seeing this all the time. Jesus is constantly on trial. They're always having a case against him. And this is going to be the case here again, is that they're trying, to, and, and you want people to question who Jesus is. You, just, you want them to understand, and because you, there's got to be some objective truth. There's some truth to who Jesus is. I mean, he's, he's going at great length, and I think of great patience here, of telling people over and over again who he is. He's explained it to them. How many times now he's explained himself, and he keeps on explaining himself. But when he explains himself, he allows the process of divine uh, election and sovereign calling of God peeling off those who are really his and those who are really looking for light and those who are really looking for water and those who are really who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness and those who are just playing religion and just are just want power and just want to feel so satisfied with who they are and that God's just got to love them because they're just so good and we see that going on and that's no different than the world that we live in now. And Jesus does that. And if we look in Matthew chapter 11, it is pretty explicit that Jesus says, um, in verse 27 of chapter 11 of Matthew, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So we see this 
this sifting, God sifting, Christ sifting out these people. He's calling, he sends out this general call, but this effectual call that is going out, it goes out to only those who God chooses to reveal himself. We see that there is this selective group of people. As he was selected to only to the Jews and gave the ordinances to them, he is now giving it only to the, the new people of God, the new Israel. He only chooses to reveal himself when and how, that's up to him, but he's the one who does it. We plant, uh, we water, we cultivate, we do everything we can, but we don't know who God's going to raise up and who God's going to genuinely call and God's going to give new birth to. Our job is to continually do all those activities. It's up to him. So you see this reformed perspective of God's predestination and God's election and God's sovereign calling and effectual calling and you being dead. If someone's dead, they can't respond. And if we're dead in our trespasses and sins, we can't take credit for responding unless God does something in our hearts. It's basic, but it's counter to our wills. It's counter to our theology until we see the scriptures teach us that. So again, all that information to get to the point where we're at because we have to set this up. So Jesus, again, and he says, notice now in verse 12, he says again. So he's, he, I mean, he hasn't left the temple precinct. He hasn't left the temple. So that's why you see verses 53 to 8, 11, 1, 11, it just does not seem to fit, though a beautiful story as it is. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, now, there is a con here's, i got to give you the context of why this is so important. Because on, not only was the water, a pouring of water on the, 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 the table of sacrifice seemed to be the pinnacle of the event, at night, what happened was the Feast of Lights would be going on. And so you can see now why this is appropriate. Everybody, in, everybody in, 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 in Jerusalem would know what was going on because there would be, there were, this is what, you know, all the different stories, some have different nuances, but pretty much there were, I believe, four uh, candle uh, stands of about 50 feet high in the sanctuary, in the temple. And there were, they were, there were four of them, and they, they, they took gallons of oil to light, and they lit up, they not only lit up the temple, they lit up, all the buildings around the temple of the people's homes, you could see it for miles and people would just say, what an awesome sight. It's like, you know, at Christmas when we have, we shut off all the lights and we have our, our candlelight service and we light it up. It's really neat to be in the darkness and watch, you know, candlelight having it lit up. It's got this amazing effect upon us. And so here people at nighttime watching these lights being lit up and you know, they're just in awe, and it's just, uh, to them, encouraging. It's the presence of God. It's God's faithfulness. And light is such a theme throughout the entire scriptures. Your word is a light to my, uh, a light and lamp, to, a lamp and a light to my feet. Uh, we talk about, you know, you, uh, the light of, of the gospel is my salvation. We see in the Psalms. We see in, in Isaiah. We see the, the, that uh, uh, the light of in the book in the, in the Exodus, not only the book of Exodus, but in the wilderness, is that we see that that, that God was in a pillar of, of a cloud which had to be bright. It had to be just it can't be just a cloud. It had to be a distinct kind of cloud which you think would have some kind of 
you know, sense of when if it was a glory cloud, there'd be, you know, that Shekinah glory would be, even during the day would be lit up that people knew that, man, that wasn't just a cloud. That's a cloud. And that's the cloud among all different other clouds that would guide the people in their wilderness experience. And at night, that same cloud would be there, would light the way of people and then light where they were. And then also in Exodus chapter 14, that light would be there to be a, a, a deterrent to all the enemies He's saying, oh, don't mess with that guy. Don't mess with that cloud. Don't mess with that light. Don't mess with those people because that God means business. And so we see that he was a, a, you know, this symbolism of light, the theme of light throughout all the scriptures, even in poetry and stories and everything, light and darkness. I mean, everybody understands how they are opposed to one another. You don't want to be in darkness. People want to be in light. Even, even some kind of rituals that people belong to, uh, in, 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 in groups and in organizations, after they take their old saying that, which always has bothered me for a Christian to belong to any organization that can make these statements and saying that, I now recite this because now belonging to this organization, I now have been given light, which means that they were in darkness before if they were Christians, and how can that be? How can the light of this organization trump the light of the gospel and the light of Christ? So, that's what we need to be careful, what we belong to. I don't know controversies here, but it's always been controversial in some churches. That we need to be careful that we, organizations that we take oaths or we take, uh, you know, we take some sense of, uh, um, you know, uh, stance or we recite something that gives our allegiance to this organization that has any implications of a spiritual nature whatsoever. We need to be careful what we say. Because we can't say, if we were Christians, that we were now in darkness and now because we, went, we got into this organization, now I've seen the light. We've got to be careful about that. This, if, if we're in darkness, we're in complete darkness. If we're, not in, if we're in Christ, we don't need any other light. We've got Jesus. So that's, that's, um, that's what we need to be careful of. So we see that there, the Bible's full. You know, John's gospel, his epistles about God is light, and, and, them, and him is no you know, darkness at all. He is light. And we see it through the entire word of God, the theme of light being pointing to Christ and pointing to illumination and revelation. In the light of the gospel, we understand in the light of the scriptures, we find out who we are, do we not? The light is turned on and we see how ugly our sin is. We see how ugly our life is. And we then say, I can't deal with this anymore. And Lord, you know, it's like a, you know, the dentist or a doctor putting that spotlight and just saying, wow, this is really bad. Or no, there's really nothing wrong. Just something to illuminate for us. And this is what happens when the light of the gospel shines up upon us, we come to understand that, boy, God really knows who we are because his word has just lit us up and we, he just shows us the very inner beings of our thinking. He, 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 this, he exposes our nature. He exposes our thoughts. He exposes everything about us, which we're glad that he does, but it's pretty uncomfortable to find out how despicably evil we still can be, aren't we not? We, are we not still a kind of shaky about when we, we go to the Lord and, we, and the Lord reveals to us our motives and reveals to us, you know, the thoughts that we entertain and we thought we, were, we hadn't dealt with, we don't deal with those anymore and all of a sudden we, God's light shines upon us and goes, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm still dealing with this. So this light here, this festival of lights and this, this, uh, these people are, it, it's, it, what happens is that they were, men and women were in the courtyard singing and dancing and carrying lights around because not only were those huge lights, which I hear that they had attendants carrying gallons of, of, of oil up just to keep the lights going. That's how, much, how big they were and to consume all that oil. 
there were attendants on these all week long. And then here's uh, uh, Jesus going to this feast and looking upon them and saying, you know, folks, this, this light is very important, but I am this light. I am the light, not only to you guys, but the entire world. He expands his, his reign and, and let everybody know that it's just not to you. It's, I, my light is for everyone. And as he says to anyone, he, re, he decides to reveal himself to them. So we see that, that um, this festival of lights, uh, people were singing and dancing in the, they think of the, court, the courtyard of women because that's where women could participate and men could participate. And that's where it says here, uh, if we look at um, verse 20, these words were spoken in the treasury. And in the treasury meaning that these were, there were uh, 16, I believe it says, there were 16 uh, sort of, uh, uh, not baskets, but sort of uh, receptacles uh, shaped as a horn, the sofars, shaped as a horn with the title written on it, what they would be used for. So that's where the, the women who would give their, their little, the women who would give their mites, as it said in the Bible, would give their offering, would do it in the courtyard of women into these sofars or this treasury. So we're given the location that this is taking place in the courtyard, in the temple of the women, and it's just a festive occasion. Everybody's just so excited. That's why they said, if you haven't rejoiced, you don't know what rejoicing is if you haven't been here for this occasion. So Jesus is saying that whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, here you go now. You're starting to bear witness about yourself, and your testimony is not true. Now, they were listening to Jesus in chapter 5 because Jesus says, well, I don't have, I don't come, I mean, I'm not, not by myself here. I've got witnesses. Remember, if you go back to chapter 5, we see that Moses was a witness, and the Old Testament was a witness, and the Father was a witness. We see all the witnesses. We're talking about a court case, and Jesus was playing their game, and Jesus was saying, I got a lot of witnesses. But now he's saying, they're, they're, throwing, they're throwing Jesus' word back to him, again, back against them, and he says, wait a minute, now you're bearing witness about yourself, yourself and your testimony is not true. And he says, um, Jesus answered, even if I do witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. Jesus is saying that, which he said before, if he's God, why does he have to prove himself? If he's God, who needs to witness? How, who, what's the next step do you appeal? I appeal to God. Okay, my next step above a God is who? Nobody, because you can't appeal any higher than God. And this is what Jesus is saying, saying, listen to this. I know where I come from. You guys don't know where I come from. What, what, I come from above. Prologue, right? He was with the Father. He was, is, is God. He came and he tabernacled. So we see that Jesus came from heaven and came to dwell with us. They did not know this, but Jesus is telling them, I don't need to give you any more witnesses. I gave you witnesses, in, well, in my perspective, chapter 5, verse 31. I gave you witnesses, but I don't need to just by virtue of who I am. I am one with the Father. I am God. I don't need your approval on who I am and what I say to you. He says, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Now, you've got to be careful because we read that Jesus does judge. But how would he saying here that Jesus judges no one like they judge? Jesus doesn't judge on the same criteria that they're judging. Remember chapter 7, Matthew? Judge lest you be judged by the same measure that you use. And Jesus is saying, 
He's using the same terms as Paul does. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about the outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this. Now this is the, the main clause of why Paul is, is saying this. The love of God, the love of Christ constrains us, controls us, guides us, motivates us. He says this, because we have concluded this, that once has, one has died for all, and therefore all have died. We are all sinners, and yet he has, we realize that Jesus died for us. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. The same words that Jesus used. We do not regard anybody just from a horizontal perspective. As he says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new one has come. And what does he say? All of this is from God. This is not something that we can boast about, that we've, we've attained some sense of maturity and spirit of maturity, and we're, we've got to know we're in the real. We got it all down. We've studied. We're, we, we know exactly what's going on. We are these scholars. He is saying it is the spirit of God working in you. Now that you know the gospel, you know why Christ died for you, because he needed to die for you, because you're dead in your sins and your trespasses, and unless somebody died for you and gave you new life, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven. And so he is saying, as this was already written when uh, Paul's, got, Paul's letter was already written uh, before this gospel was written, but they would hopefully have that frame of reference of saying, wow, according to the flesh. And Jesus is saying, I'm not judging you according to the flesh. Like you guys judge me according to your flesh. You can't help but judge me according to your flesh. That's what you are, your flesh. And you notice, if Jesus said to them that, that he chooses who to reveal himself, and we're seeing these guys deny who he is, and we see these people not getting it, and Jesus says, you don't know the Father, that's why you don't care for me. There's this tremendous tension again going on in this conversation with Jesus. He just is saying, if you don't get it, you aren't ever, you're not going to get it. You don't understand. Unless God calls you and God draws you, you're never going to get this stuff. And so that's why he says, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one according to the flesh. But notice he says, even if I do judge, the judgment is true. Why? Because he's God. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Again, Jesus is Connecting himself with the, with, with the Father, Yahweh, so closely that, that you can't help but see that Jesus is saying who he is. 
In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. He goes, now here we go with these I am statements. Remember, we were, they were going to stone him once because he said I am. Here he goes, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the water. I am every. He talks about I am different times in this gospel in which the word I am is the name of God, in the, in the, of Yahweh. That's his name in the Old Testament. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. He doesn't need to explain himself. I don't need to explain myself. They said to him, therefore, well, where is your father? And Jesus says, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Again, yeah, Jesus, we heard this. We don't get it. And that's why he just keeps on telling them, this is, what, this, is the, this, is the, uh, this is the deal, guys. He goes, these words were spoken in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him. Why? Because he wasn't going to die during the Feast of Booths. He was going to die during the Passover. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me. Why will they seek him? Because they're still looking for a Messiah. They still haven't found their Messiah. They didn't see Jesus as being the Messiah, as being the Christ. So he said, I'm going away and you're still going to be looking for the Messiah when he was right in your face all the time. And you will die in your sin. And what is that sin? He goes on to explain that. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, remember the Jews are the spiritual leaders of Israel. Will he kill himself? Knowing that there was some kind of tragic thing going to take place. He wasn't just kind of heading out of town. I'm going away. They understood the language that Jesus was going to have to die. And he says, what, is he going to kill himself? Since he says, I am going and you cannot come. Where is he going? He's going to heaven. That's where. They're never going to get there. He's not talking about death. He's talking about going back to the Father. He's talking about dying and going to heaven. He said, you, now notice what he says here. He says, you are from below, I am from above. Now these are endearing words by Jesus. He, he's really looking to make friends here, is he not? He's really looking to say, well, come to my synagogue because you'll love the people and you'll love the message. He's not saying anything like this. He is explaining the gospel to them and saying, you are from this world. I am from above. He was with the gospel, the prologue, again, the gospel of John. He was God. He was with God from the beginning. Talking about the eternity of God, of the eternity of Christ. He says, I am from below, and uh, you are from below. I am from above, and you are of this world, and I am not of this world. He is drawing the lines here. I told you that you would die now, not only in your sin. Notice what he says in verse 21. He says, you're going to die in your sin. Your sin is unbelief. And if we're unbelievers, we die in the consequences of the rest of the sins of our lives. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, Yahweh, if I am ego a me, that, that word that everybody falls on the ground when they hear Jesus naming that because he's claiming the personal name of God, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say to you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when, the son of, when, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, when you know that, that you will know that I am he, Jesus does not back off anywhere. He just keeps on pouring it on these people because he wants them to understand the gospel. And that I do nothing on my own authority, 
but speak as just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me in with me, he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Turn with me to um, Isaiah chapter 43. This is a beloved uh, chapter that we've, I'm sure you've read, we've read in church, you read on your own devotions, and it says in verse 43, the title in my Bible says, Israel's only Savior. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, and you are mine. This is not a, you know, this is an intimate thing, God calling you by name. A name is a personal thing. God knows every hair upon our head. God knows every thought in our hearts, and God still calls us, which is amazing. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. He's talking about the presence. That's what this, the Feast of Tabernacles is all about, that God tabernacled with him. God was with him in the wilderness, and Jesus is the one who has pitched a tent with us. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers you shall not be, you know, overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes, and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Notice the sovereignty of God here. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the end of the earth. This ingathering of, this is what this whole feast is about. The ingathering of the crops, the ingathering of God's people. This is why Jesus is saying at the Feast of Tabernacles, this is who is his. This is the Messiah. He's the one who's going to call all these people to himself. I will say to the north, give up. To the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I've created for my glory. For everyone who's called by God, who've been called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. Whom I have formed and I've made. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes. What is he telling people now? He's telling these people that they are dark. They're in darkness. They're blind. They cannot see. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf and not have ears. All the nations together, he says, gather together and the peoples assemble. Who are among them that can declare? Who among them can declare this and show us these the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right, and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declared the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me, no God was formed, and there sh- and nor shall there be any after me. I. I am the Lord. Can you hear the resounding sound of Christ proclaiming this and going right back to Isaiah chapter 43 and in the face of these men who are learned people of Israel should have said, Nicodemus, don't you get it, man? Don't you see? You're the scholar of Israel. You're the most, you're the most profound teacher in Israel and you don't get it? Because why? Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the dark. 
And this is the, this is the, the, the attitude and the spiritual uh, uh, climate and the, the uh, spiritual health of Israel. They're in the dark. And they need someone to shed light upon them. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed, and there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declare Lord. And I am God, and henceforth I am he. And there is none who can deliver from my hand I work, and who can turn it back. I mean, this is, this is the Old Testament coming forward in this in this proclamation of Jesus in this foost, foost, in this feast of booths, foosts of beasts, <laughs> in, this, in this feast of tabernacles. So people are looking at it from a horizontal perspective and trying to impose on it a spiritual nature. Jesus takes it to the highest notch it can be. It's about him. One more, one more Old Testament passage. Zechariah. Zechariah. Right before Malachi, which is easy, the last guy of the Old Testament, always a great place to start from. Notice Isaiah, I'm sorry, Zechariah chapter 14. Now notice the verse, verse 1 of chapter 14, behold, a day is coming for the Lord. And notice what he says on verse 6. Uh, verse, verse 5, the end of verse 5. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. On that day there will be no light, cold, or frost. There shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but evening time. There shall be light. Remember Isaiah? For Isaiah, Christmas, chapter 9, verses 2 through 7, for, for on this land who is living in darkness, a great light has come upon them. This is what we worship. We, we proclaim at Christmas that the light of the world has come in Jesus, and no, now we don't need to walk in darkness anymore. Isaiah chapter 9, verse, chapter, verses 2 through 7. On that day, living waters, verse 8 of Zechariah 14, 14 on that day, living waters shall flow out of Jerusalem, in verse 9, and the Lord will be king over the earth. And verse 16, listen to this. Then everyone who survives all of the nations and that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feasts of booths. This is who Jesus, this is what he's, this is what he's fulfilling. He's fulfilling the beast, the beast, the feast of booths. The Feast of Booths, he is, he is proclaiming it, he is fulfilling it, and he is saying it is done right in your face. It is complete people, testify to it, be my witnesses, know that I am the light, I am the water, I am, you'll never thirst, you'll never walk in darkness again. But what is he doing? By shedding the light on people, he is showing their true nature, and Jesus says, and John says in the gospel, and the light came into the world, and the light and the darkness hated the light. So we see, just by reading this, that these people are opposing Jesus. So one plus one is equal two. They hate Jesus. They are in darkness. And boy, you don't build friends by telling people they're in darkness. But Jesus didn't come to make friends. He came to deliver the saints 
out of captivity. He came to deliver the saints from darkness into light. He came to give us drink when we're dying of thirst. So we see all of these, all of these uh, indicators of, of darkness and now going now from more light of the summer to darkness. We see thirsting, we see ingathering, we see uh, harvesting, we see living in tents, we see all of these symbols. That's why this is so important to understand the setting here. Because if you don't understand the setting, you can never see why Jesus is so emphatic about this, that it says, now this was the Feast of Booths. This was important, people. This is an important time. Everybody, it's a great day. Why? I thought the Passover was a great day. No, this was a great day. Yeah, the Passover is a great day. But here, people found this to be a joy because they rejoice in God's provision. So for us to understand the Gospel of John and understanding what John is writing to us and how this argument goes on, because we're going, Jesus, I get it. Jesus, I get it. Jesus, I get it. You know, I mean, if you read this, I'm with the Father. I'm one with the Father. You see why he's repeating it over and over again so that he is making sure that these people understand. Because notice what he says here in verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. But Jesus doesn't stop there because as you and I shouldn't stop there, we should understand. I'm a Christian. Well, why are you a Christian? Well, I believe. What do you believe in? Notice that Jesus then, in these next, then notice after, you can go ahead and read for next week, as we read the rest of this chapter, Jesus doesn't just listen to, you know, John's, John's saying that. Many believed in him, but Jesus is going to say, do you really believe in me? Do you really believe in me? Why do you believe in me? Tell me why you believe in me. Are you really believing in something that doesn't exist? Are you really believing for the wrong reasons? Remember Jesus was saying, oh, they believed in him, but he didn't trust in him because he knew their hearts and he knew that they were dark. He, didn't, he knew they had nothing, they didn't want anything to do with Jesus. They wanted a miracle worker. They wanted a, a king, but they didn't want a savior. And so Jesus is going again. He's taking another scalpel again. And he's now peeling everybody open again in the next chapter, in the next verses that we're going to look at. We see Jesus just doing this surgical job of just peeling right down to that. We're getting to the cancer. We're getting to the core of the, of the rottenness of the human heart. And you and I know that our heart is that rotten so that unless God changes our heart and unless God gives us the ability to say yes to Christ, that we have done, we have been, we have been changed by grace, we no longer view Christ as we used to, but now we look at Christ as the Savior as he says, we are no new creation. That's where, we, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where we see this God persevering to the very end, taking us. He started the work. He takes us to the end. Why? Because he's the one who started it all. And that's where humility comes in. That's where we don't pound our chest. That's where we go to the world and we realize how when we read this, folks, and we understand that we're dead, where do we take any credit whatsoever? We can't take any credit. It's by God's grace. By God's grace, I don't know why. I mean, and, and folks, when you hang around people that aren't believers, which I'm sure that you do, I hope you do because you'd be pretty stunted in your understanding of the, and you have no ministry whatsoever, is that you realize when you talk to people about the Lord or you just talk to people about things, you realize that, that Jesus and spiritual things are just not a category in their life. They just don't have a category for spiritual things. You talk to them and, you know, I'm playing golf with people, and, you know, I, yesterday I was in a, in a golf outing with the bank. And, uh, you know, nice people, but my goodness, 
the things that they were talking about, and they knew, that, yo, you're, what are you doing tomorrow? Oh, you want to play golf tomorrow? Oh, no, you're working. You know, you can't. You, gotta, you can't play golf tomorrow. You're working. This is what they say. And I said to him, well, I'm working. Actually, I got a double duty because I got to speak at a, or I got to speak at an installation service. He goes, why? They didn't get it the first time? You know? So I'm, and I laugh, and I know this guy, and I, he's, a, he's, a, he's a stand-up comedian anyway, so he's always looking for stuff. But just listening to them, and the person I'm writing a cart with is a believer, and we're just looking at each other, they don't have a category. There's just no category for Jesus. There's no category for God. Yet they're looking for God to save them because they aren't as bad as the next door neighbor, or they're not as bad as the person down the street, but they just don't have it. And you know what, folks? Isn't it great that God has given us that? He's blessed us with the ability to have him not as a category, not being perfect, but we have him as a category to even think about in our daily lives. When we wake up, we think about him somewhere along the line, which before we could have cared less or just seeing, oh, I better get ready. Sunday's coming. I better put on a new suit. I better, say, I better say some prayers. I better walk around like this. Now we have a category that means something in our life, folks. That's what I think is astounding when I read this. I'm going, wow, my thankful, Lord. I am so thankful that I've got a category now. He wasn't, it never existed before. And if it did, I created it. So this is how important it is. I mean, if you don't unfold this stuff, if you don't look at the scriptures, if you don't study the Bible, if you just read through this, oh, I'm the light of the world. Yeah, geez, that's really cool. I like that. That's great. I'm the light. What's light mean to you? The people out there who are light don't mean the darkness whatsoever. They just mean like, it's just cool to be illumined. It's just great to be in tune with the universe. It's just great to be in, just be the one with something. That's light. And you and I know, if that's the light that's in you, what does Jesus say? Wow, that's really dark. <laughs> that's real darkness if that's the light that's in you. So, it's so important to be, to, to be taught this and to understand what these feasts and these festivals and see how Jesus completes all this for us. Just makes this book that much better, doesn't it? Amen? Let's pray. Wow, Lord Jesus, thank you for, again, just giving us a greater ability by your grace, not because we're smart and not because it's uh, done such a great job of teaching. It's just because, Lord, you've allowed us to take the dots and see how they're connected. How we can go back thousands of years and then we can go back even in, in a more recent time, just in the first century, which is a long time ago, and now bring this all back to us today and how do we apply this to our lives and to our situation, Lord. Have you told us anything now that people are looking for that are going, oh, now I can go out and apply this in my life? No, this is everything about our life, Lord. This is our life, the gospel, our, everything that we're, we're, we read about, Lord. This is, this is why we are different is because you have called us and we are your children and we rejoice in that, Lord. We thank you for that so much. We thank you for giving us now a category of Christ that we never had before. We thought of you, Jesus, in human form, and we, we judged you with our human flesh. But Father, now that we are a new creation, we no longer, as Paul says, I no longer consider Christ that way. Lord, thank you for giving us that. We didn't deserve it. You gave it to us in a gift. Lord, now may that change our lives. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen.